Hallelujah. Let's give God a thank offering. Yeah, let's praise him. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can never praise God enough for all he's done for us. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, welcome. Uh, I'm surprised all you guys are here because it's so nice out there, you know, but good on you. Good on you for being in the house of God. You're totally in the perfect will of God today. Amen. So welcome. If you're here in person, welcome. If you're joining us online too as well, so good to see you and have you in the house of God today. You know, um, um, we need God desperately in these times, aren't we? We're living in times that are just totally like, uh, wow, I've never imagined uh, hearing and seeing the things that are happening worldwide. It's just astounding to me. And uh, it, it says that we're moving towards the very end, right? And that's good, isn't it? You know, because we want to see, you know, uh, anyway, we, we don't want to leave heaven, you know, this earth too early, but we, you know, like Paul said, you know, uh, you know, I'd rather be in heaven and on earth, but I've got a purpose to live here on earth, right? So that's why you're here. You're here because you have a purpose. And um, so we're heading into a, 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 a new season. Uh, we're also starting a brand new series, and it's called um, Heart for the Home. And this is uh, a heart for the harvest. And uh, God is a heart f- for his home. And, um, you know, we, we, have, uh, we have this offering that we're doing this month. It's called uh, um, Heart for the Home Offering. And uh, I'd like you to put your heart where your home is this morning and, and give generously. Put your faith into action. When you put your faith into action, it produces life, and it, God rewards faith, doesn't he? So, you know... Give more this morning. Give to the house. And uh, we have so many needs, and um, all our needs come through you because you're God's house. Amen? Amen. So, um, new series, Heart for the Home. Are you ready? I want to challenge you this morning. I believe as a pastor that every time we gather together, we need to, be, we need to have good information. But more than anything, we need to be informed, but we need to be uh, transformed. And that's what the Word of God does. And He's come to transform us. He's come to set your heart aflame. More in love with Jesus. More sense of your, your, uh, the goodness of God. Not just the Most High God, but the Most High Nigh God. How cr- close and personal, how He wants to be with you. Amen? So let's invite Him this morning. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. We need you. Just invite you to come, Holy Spirit, and just open our hearts, open our minds, our hearts to your word this morning. Let the word of God take firm, deep root in our lives. Let it be the seed, like someone said this morning, that brings forth a life and the purpose of God into us, Lord, in a brand new, fresh, totally new way. So I thank you for the word of God. May we hear it. May we receive it, and may we put it into action for your glory and for our goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're talking about the heart for the harvest. So I'm, today I'm going to take you to a text in the Bible, in Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 9. It is a familiar text to maybe many of us, and maybe that's a problem because it's familiar. But listen. It may be familiar, but it's an awesome text. 
So I want you to hear it this morning with fresh ears, okay? Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 35. Matthew was a tax collector, got born again, got saved, started writing all about Jesus, traveled with him, right? Matthew says in verse 35, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages in that area, teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they, because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. Fields. Jesus is up to something. He's trying to create an awareness and a participation in a mission that is going to change the world. But it's also going to come at a, ver- at a great expense to the messengers who will bring the gospel to the world. And then if you go to the very next chapter, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 10, you see Jesus actually going out to summon, to call these disciples of his, and later on, even 72 more. And he's, he calls them to be commissioned and to be sent out. And they start engaging in a mission, a movement that was going to change the world in their time and in their day, right? And it's, listen, and it's now has come down to us today. Do you agree with that? And many of those men and women literally gave their lives for the gospel, for this mission. So question, how does, how did Jesus, how does Jesus so so, um, impact the, the minds and the hearts of those people, of those disciples, how does he calibrate their thinking that they valued this mission enough that they were willing to give their lives? How did he do that? And let's go further than that. And how does God today create in me and in you an understanding of a mission that is so great, so significant, that it literally replaces my personal desires, my goals, my ambition, my need for personal success, my self-interest, and makes me willingly put everything in else in my life on the back burner. In the book of Acts, people willingly risked their lives, gave their lives for the gospel. The question is, how's your heart? How's your heart for the gospel? We're talking about God's heart for the harvest. How do you get? How do you get God's heart for the harvest? It's a good question. Here's how. And I, I think this message will at least partially answer that question. It's so important. How do we get God's heart for his harvest? Jesus' heart. Number one. We have to see what Jesus saw. 
We have to see what Jesus saw. Jesus goes on a road trip. He goes on a tour with his disciples. Verse 35, Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now, there was approximately 200, actually more like 220 villages, towns, and it says that Jesus and his disciples went through all of them, all of them. Imagine the oppressive need that they encountered over and over and over again. And Jesus just keeps traveling to town after town after town after town. And what's Jesus seeing? What's he seeing? Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What did he see? He saw people. He saw lostness. He saw people. Like he saw people like being sheep without a shepherd. They were wandering. They were unprotected. You know, in ancient times, <clears throat> in ancient times, ancient kings were also referred to as being shepherds, chief shepherds. It wasn't a lowly title. There was a sense of royalty for a king, and you would see him. They would, pic- they would picture him, draw him graphically with a, a staff in his hand with a crook. He, and this picture of a shepherd was intended to communicate that the ruler had certain obligations to the people to provide order, structure, provision, protection for these people. And Jesus was saying, as he was going through these towns, that this, it, was a, it was a nation that literally were a people without a shepherd, and without a king, and with all, without protection. And the land that they were going through, that they, they were walking through, was the land that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it was the promised land given to God's people. And it's like the enemy had come in. And it, and it belonged to them. It belonged to, to, to Jesus. And the enemy had come in like a lion, and had literally ravaged them. And he uses these terms, an ancient enemy, He saw people harassed, helpless, strong terms. And the imagery here is like this lion has come and literally tearing his prey apart, damaging lives, hurting people. No, here's the point. You know, Jesus saw that way back then. What would he see here today? What would he, what, what do we see? What about the people around us? How do we see them? How do we see the people around us? You know, I say it doesn't take very long. After the surface discussions and superficial conversations that you start, you ask that person, okay, really, how are you doing? You ask that question, and you will probably find a victim of the enemy mauled by a bear. Damaged by the enemy, ravaged by the lion. And Jesus is saying, I want you to open your eyes to see what I am seeing. To get God's heart, you got to see what God is seeing. Number two, we must feel what Jesus felt. 
We must feel what Jesus felt. You know, there were two, two agrarian examples, agricultural examples to just, that Jesus used to describe his harvest. Harvest is like livestock, it's like sheep without a shepherd. And the exa- other example is harvest is like a crop of grain, of fruit or produce. John 4.34, Jesus said these words just after he had ministered to a woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. And the Samaritan woman went back to her town and told her, told him all that Jesus had done. She believed in Christ, put her faith in him, and all these people came out, and the, literally the whole town got saved. And immediately Jesus said, my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest, I tell you. Open your eyes and look at the fields. Exclamation mark. It's almost like he just, he was almost shouting it out, telling his disciples, look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And you, you read into those scriptures and you just sense Jesus' deep concern for the potential loss of people of harvest. And the words Jesus uses here for the harvest is identical to the ones for bringing crops, <clears throat> bringing in crops of fruit and vegetables. So I can, so I can personally relate to the harvest <laughs> because I grew up on a market garden on a farm, a vegetable farm, just outside of Lethbridge. And it, it was like 80 acres and all those 80 acres of vegetables of every kind you could even think of had to be handpicked. It was very little automation and it was hard work. I'm going to tell you, when it was harvest time, I mean, I was, I was one of uh, five siblings. I was right in the middle. And every one of us had to work hard during the harvest. And when it was harvest time, it was a special time. Harvest time was special. Nothing, nothing was more important than the harvest. Everything else in life, every event, every activity was put on hold at harvest time. I'm going to tell you, as a kid, I did not have a heart for harvest. In fact, I hated harvest. You know why? Because harvest was hard work. I mean, I was in junior high. I was like 11, 10, 11, and I had, I was, I had to go work in the fields. 8 a.m. in the morning, up at 7, out in the fields at 8, 8 o'clock, often back at home at 8 in the evening, at dusk time. It was like 12 hours we often put in. Harvest time. <laughs> Every bone in my body ached. Every muscle. I was exhausted at the end of the day. But I got in pretty good shape. Every summer, my dad would prepare for the harvest. Before every harvest, he would go to our schools, talk to our teachers, and said, we're taking Doug out of school. He's not going to be there for maybe four, four to six weeks. You're not going to see him. In fact, all my kids aren't going to be in school because it's harvest time. Harvest time. And before every harvest time, my dad, by the end of the, end of the summer, he'd, dis, he'd take off on the weekends. And he'd, you know what he did? He'd look for workers. He'd go to the reserves. He'd go to the blood reserve, the pagan drive, and he would look for people to help. He'd go to his friends. He'd go to the immigration center, and he'd get people. He'd get Japanese, you know, uh, Mexican, whoever to come and work in the harvest fields. Every 
before every harvest, my dad would go into the, this gigantic root cellar that we, we had. And he would just clear all, out, all, all, all the old stuff, just, just get rid of it. He would clean it out, and he'd start to plan. He'd, he'd start to put, build compartments for every type, different type of harvest. He, was, he planned for the harvest. My dad lived for the harvest. So the question is, why was, you know, as a kid, harvest didn't mean anything. I'd rather run away. I'd rather go to school than be, at, be, at, be working on the har- farm at harvest time. But the question is, I didn't understand why harvest was so vital. So why was harvest f- so vital? As a kid, I didn't understand. Harvest meant this. It meant survival for us. It meant provision for our family. It, kept the, it, it, meant, that, it meant life for our family. It meant that all the bills that we had accumulated throughout the year would be paid. Our debts would be paid off. Harvest also meant, it meant reward for all the hard work the, the, the sowing, the hoeing, the, the fertilizing, the irrigation, the watering. Harvest was reward, and harvest was wages. Harvest were the wages for all the laborers. John chapter 4, verse 36 says, Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Listen, when you're in the harvest, there's joy and, and you've got this relationship with God where you just know that God is pleased because you're working in a harvest field. My dad was concerned about two things, two things, two worst things that could happen before the harvest. Number one, not enough workers. Often that was the case. Sometimes that was the case. And the second one, not enough time. A window of opportunity. There's a window of harvest opportunity in every person's life. And that window can close at any time. Any time. And the danger of those two things is that the harvest could be lost. Lostness. Lostness is the greatest tragedy in our world today. You know the news media? They focus on all kinds of tragedies all the time, don't they? I mean, they're just masters in focusing on the tragedies, right? But, there's a, that, but the greatest tragedy of all is the tragedy they never talk about. They never mention. What do they focus on? Well, they focus on things like, like, like hunger, world hunger, or unemployment, or, or, or poverty, or, 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 or the environment. And I think all those needs are important. And we as Christians, we can get involved to help is with those problems. But I want to tell you, the greatest need on earth is that people need the Lord. People need Christ. People are lost without Christ. They need Jesus. Amen? Romans chapter 9, verse 2. Paul said, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself could were accursed, cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. When Paul said this, it was just after the Jews had rejected him and the gospel. But he says here that he's literally willing to die so that he could take the gospel to them. We also need to remember, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, remember, remember, that you were separated from Christ, 
alienated, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and with, without God in this world. You know, that's exactly the way that people are if they don't have Jesus. Amen? On your, on your screen. God has, God has a divine concern and God has a divine method to get his harvest, to bring home his harvest. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Now, we might expect, now he was saying that to his disciples. The harvest is great, and the workers are so few. He could have looked at his disciples, so get on your feet and go get that harvest, bring it in. But he didn't say that. Instead of telling them to get on their feet, what did he tell them? Get on your knees. Get on your knees. Matthew 9, 38. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out, what? Laborers into his harvest. Jesus tells them to pray. God works through prayer. Every revival, every move of God's spirit was birthed in prayer. It started in prayer. Maybe just a couple of, of uh, uh, ladies, you know, who were well into their 80s, just praying. Powerful ministry. You look at it. Every movement of God, every revival, prayer, every great awakening, prayer, birthed in prayer, soaked in prayer, sustained by prayer, maintained by prayer. Amen? Amen. Acts chapter 2 tells us, literally, the first greatest move of God on earth in the New Testament was Acts chapter 2. What were they doing? They were in one accord, in unity, together in one place. And what were they doing? Praying. Praying. Like I say, I'm not, I'm not mad at you. Prayer is God's divine method. And he wants to get his people praying. He waits on the prayers of his people. And when we call to him in prayer, he listens. Why? Because he's the Lord of the harvest. He is a heart for the harvest. And as soon as we begin to pray, send labors, he begins to thrust others into the harvest field to labor together. Amen? And this, this, this lets us know that our first responsibility in this whole matter of harvest and the winning of, of souls, it starts with prayer. It, it involves prayer. On your screen. When we become aware of the great need for workers, we should make this need a matter of persistent prayer. Yeah. Right? But there's a warning. Here's the warning. Those who begin to pray for workers usually end up being sent. Yeah. <laughs> God is so smart, isn't he? God, I pray for my neighbors. I'm just praying for my brother to get safe. God, I want my mom and my dad to get saved. I want, I want to pray for my neighbor down the street. God, save them, save them. Send someone, send someone, send someone. Send, my, send, who am I, oh, send the pastor. Um, uh, send, uh, send Dave or, or send Amy. No, send someone. <clears throat> well, maybe I should go too. <laughs> well, maybe, God, you want to use me. It starts with prayer. I want to tell you a story from the life of Martin Luther. Martin Luther, wow, what a man. Lived in the um, 1500s, born in the late 1400s. Uh, I think passed away in the mid-1500s. Martin Luther was a phenomenal, he was, he was German. 
He was, he was, uh, he was an author. He was an uh, evangelist. Uh, um, uh, he was a reformist. Martin Luther was the, uh, was the one who went to the Pope and told, told him that salvation is free for everyone. It is not by works. He says, but it's by grace through faith we are saved. And he literally started this, this, this and, he, and, he, and he came against the Pope in fear and trepidation because Pope had so much power. But what he, what he preached up, what he was seeing was right out of the Bible, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And he began what they call the Protestant Reformation, the Protestant movement, which spread throughout, all throughout Europe and then right in, into the American colonies and is into, has affected our lives today. The birth of the evangelical movement of God, born again by the Spirit of God. Amen? Powerful man of God. God used this guy. He was fearless. But he had a friend. He had a friend. Oh, did the picture disappear? His, and his name was Philippe. I've got to read this. Melanchthon. Philippe Manch, Melanchthon was one of his closest friends. When, when Martin Luther launched this, this Protestant Reformation ministry. And he says that even though he shared the convictions of Luther about the need, he was reluctant to join him in the bold step of this movement. So he told Luther, Martin, you go ahead with your ministry, and I will stay behind and pray for you. But as days went on, I'm just reading the story to you, there came a restlessness into the spirit of Melanchthon. One night he had a dream, and in his dream, he saw a large flock of sheep. But when he looked, there was just one lonely shepherd trying to lead the whole flock. And when he looked closer, he observed that it was Luther. Then he saw another scene in his dream. And in this scene, there was, in this scene, there was a field of ripened, ripened grain as far as the eye could see. But there was only one lonely harvester in the field. And when he looked closely, he realized again, it was his friend Martin. And when he awoke in that dream, that dream, Melanchthon realized that he must do more than pray, he must go. So he left the security of the monastery, and he went to join Martin in the field. Pray and go. Pray and go. Hey, I think we have a ministry like that in our church. Are you a part of that? You should be. Question. How do you get God's heart for the harvest? Answer. It starts by praying. It starts by praying. We are to keep ourselves spiritually fit, right? And how do we do that? First thing we need to do to be spiritually fit, start praying. Develop a prayer life. A greater, better, more closer prayer life with God. And we're to keep our relationship going by exercising our heart with prayer and the word. Because when we pray consistently, daily, when we draw near to God and we start sharing our, heart, our life with him, he begins sharing his heart with us. You cannot... ever not have the burden that God has deep in his heart if you're in a close prayer relationship with God. Start talking to him more. 
It's through prayer. Through prayer, we will see what Jesus sees. It's through prayer, we will feel what Jesus feels. It's through prayer, we will end up doing what Jesus does. Amen? And we need, we need to submit ourselves, submit, submit ourselves to God. Submission is a love response, by the way, so that God can literally transform our hearts and deposit this great need for the harvest that he has in his heart. He wants to put that into our hearts too. Amen? question is, will you give God that opportunity today? Will you let him do that? Let me tell you, let me remind you again, God works through people. God wants to use you today. God wants you to be a person who breaks out. A breakout person. Amen? A breakout a person that says, God, I'm not, I'm not trying to escape this, this, this earth. I'm not trying to get out of here. But I'm here to partner with you to take back this earth for God. Amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, God is moving right now. You know, we're living here in, this, in, in Canada, in, in, in Lethbridge, Alberta. But God is moving in areas which we, in places that, that we haven't really seen him move. But God is moving. And there is what, what, what the scholars, what the prophets and Christian leaders are seeing and experiencing is called the Great Awakening. There is an awakening that's coming. And there is a movement of the Holy Spirit. It's happening. And it's going to come here. And, and I want you to be ready for it. I want to be ready for it. And when that movement comes, there is going to come a harvest of souls like you have never seen. We're going to see people come to Christ that we thought would never come. We're going to see prodigals come back to Christ. I'm prophesying that. We're going to see people that you never thought. We're going to see friends, neighbors come to Christ. And you're going to wonder, how did they get here? But so much is going to be Holy Spirit prompted. And they're going to be so open. They're going to get around you. And they maybe even ask you, what's What's God, what is the answer to life? What do I need in my life? What have you got that I don't have? And you're going to preach the gospel. There was a great awakening. God is on a move. I've heard major, high-profile, very specifically accurate prophets saying this movement right now is happening. It's happening in Asbury. It's moving into different parts of the world. It's just it's genuine. It's authentic. And some of them, I'm not saying, it's, they're saying this, and I believe that could, this could be true, that there is a great awakening happening, and it could be the last one before the harv final harvest of this earth. It could be. Which is the final harvest of souls when Jesus brings this earth, this world to an end. And the Bible says at that time, and it's a time in which only God knows, that all of time will stop. And Jesus will give the command. And all souls who are living on this earth at this time, and all souls who lived before, will suddenly be harvested. It will be the end. The Apostle John was given a preview of this event, and he records it for us in Revelations 14, 14, where John says, I looked... 
And there before me was a white cloud, seated on the cloud, was none like the son of man. The crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And then another angel came out of the temple, called out in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And so he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested just like that. He could come at any time. He said, well, oh, still four months more. Four more decades. I've heard people who study Revelation said that what needs to happen in Revelation still needs to happen before the Lord has come back could happen in literally hours. All those sequence of things that are happening. I'm, I'm not a study of revelations, but I know there are people who are, who do. And many are saying, with everything that's happening in the world, the darkness, the atrocities, the horror, the abuse on children, on humanity, by evil, wicked people and governments, it's a sign of the times. The rumors of war, and calamities and earthquakes, mind-blowing, were coming towards the end. Not a time to fear, time to rejoice, time to get into the act. Who knows how long? Maybe they could be wrong, but maybe they're right. Time to get into the harvest. Amen? And those who put their faith in Christ before this final harvest will inherit and enjoy eternal life. Those who rejected God's invitation to salvation and faith in Christ will be condemned and will find eternal punishment in a place called hell. There's no in-betweens, right? Listen to the words of Jesus. John 5, 28. A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done will rise to live. Those who have done evil, done good, will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. I don't know about you, but I want all my family, all my friends, all my co-workers, all my neighbors to rise with me on that final day and, 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 have, and, and, and be eternally blessed in heaven. And I don't want a single one of them to perish. I want none to perish. And that's God's heart. And that should be your heart. Amen? Amen. I'm almost done. We study what's happening around the world. We look and see what's happening in our own community. It's truth. I don't have the exact statistics, but I have heard. Statistically, 80 to 85 of our community is unchurched. Churches in our community are not producing the labor force necessary for harvest. God wants to increase the labor force. Harvest is the highest priority. It's the highest priority. Nothing is more important than the harvest, right? Harvest means all hands on deck, no sleeping in, and no excuses for any of us. Amen? For us on the farm, and we were kids working on the farm, harvest was the biggest 
the end of the harvest, the day we finished harvesting, everything was brought in, it was the biggest day of the year. And then when it was over, we celebrated. We had a big feast, and we, and we, and we ate what we loved the most, Chinese food. <laughs> and there was tons of it. And we celebrated. There was joy. No, no, I like Chinese better than Japanese. <laughs> Harvest meant <clears throat> life. Harvest meant provision, financial security, blessing, huge reward, satisfaction, joy, peace, security, prosperity. And for my dad, maybe even a brand new truck to haul all that Protestant to town. God has a serious, deep concern for the harvest of souls on this earth right now, right now. And there's a window of potential and vulnerability and opportunity for every single human life. We have given a mandate, a call, and a command from God to go reach your harvest. First place it starts, prayer. So, prayer. Nothing is important to God than the harvest, right? In fact, why did Jesus come? Jesus come and died and gave his life for the harvest. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. There are lost people right beside you in your neighborhood. Not beside you. We're all saved here. But there's so many out there, isn't there? Conclusion. What's your response to this text, to this statement from the Lord? To help you clarify your response, I'm going to ask you four questions. Are you ready? Okay. On your screen. First one. Are you able to see the harvest? Are you able to see the harvest? Second question. Do you see the need for people to take the harvest to the gospel, to the unreached? Do you see the need? Number three. Do you realize the urgency of this? And number four. Do you realize that God has no other method? Now, if your answer is yes, then surely you must be either You must either become a harvester or you become a prayer person who asks God to send out laborers. And if your answer is no, then you just might be a part of the unharvested field. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Father God, help us to hear this word, take it to heart, let it begin to put a burning passion in our heart to once again awaken us to the destiny of people, the horror of hell for people who don't know you and haven't made a decision to invite them into their heart. Lord, help us to act on this. Let's start with first with a prayer response. And Father, may some of us move from our comfort zones and into the fields and to go gather the harvest beside us. Father, we pray for that. In Jesus' name, everyone would agree and say what? Amen. 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 Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. It says there's no salvation. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. If you're here today 
or you're watching here today, you've never invited Jesus into your heart. I want to lead you into a simple prayer. And I promise you this, this will be the most powerful, life-changing prayer you will ever pray. If you seriously pray it, God will hear you. God will come into your heart. These are powerful words that you will pray. You can invite Christ into your heart today if you never have. So if that's you, repeat after me. Say it right to Him. Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you into my heart. I put my hope, I put my faith, I put my confidence in your finished work that you did on the cross for me. And today, Father, today, Jesus, Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.